You're listening to episode 91 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. Welcome back to the Mud Stories Podcast. I'm so glad you're with me today, and I am going to be talking with Matt Bays. He is an author and speaker and worship leader from Indianapolis, Indiana, and he has released his very first book entitled Finding God in the Ruins, How God Redeems Pain. One of the reasons I'm so excited to talk with him is because his book I just could not put down, and it's something that when you read someone's words and it changes you, it changes your view of your own pain and of God, it's something that I just could not wait to share with you, and I hope you're going to find it as helpful and healing as I did. Matt calls people out of their cliches. And he calls us out of our hiding places. And he firmly believes that our best stories live oftentimes in our secrets. And that if we can just find that courage to tell the truth of our stories to not only ourselves, but to others, that we can change the broken spirit of humanity in this world. Matt, welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be doing this with somebody who understands pain and has has been willing to... Um, put their own story out there. Thank you, Jackie. Oh, well, I just knew when I, you're, first of all, the title of the book captivated me. I saw it on Twitter um, and, you know, the place to go for all things wise, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, I just tweeted at you and I was like, after I read up on it and I was like, would you be willing to come and share your message with, with, with us here? And you were so gracious and eager and I'm just, so honored and thankful. And incidentally, I since learned that uh, you and I have spent a significant amount of our lives watching Sean T and Insanity. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, yeah. two, two summers ago, I actually did Insanity. I made it for, I think it was day 53 where wow. I did something to my knee. And that was a feat for me because that was age 43. And I still think my knees are trying to recover, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's 53 days longer than I made it. I just enjoyed <laughs> watching the infomercials and that felt like enough work for me. <laughs> You know, I, every day I'm not a cusser and I wanted to cuss him out so bad. Oh. I, I would literally talk to the television and I would tell them, I would tell him, look, people all around you in your video can't even keep going. Like, how am I supposed to keep going? I, I mean, they were dropping like flies. It was crazy. Yeah, it is. It's a, like a new level. I had done that whole P90X workout for a while, yeah. which felt you know, unbearable. And then I would watch those videos and I would be like, there's just no way. I, I don't know how anybody does that, but 53 days, like bravo. Please. I know. Thank you so much, mother That's of five. 53 days, I know. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the problem was I, I enjoyed food because it was my reward for working so hard. So then it was kind of like a wash, but it's all right. I, my heart got fit 
Good. that summer. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would love it if you would just take a minute and introduce us to your family, where you live, and um, some things you love to do. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I was raised uh, near Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, after college, uh, that's where my wife, Heather, and I met. We've been married for uh, 22 years this month, it'll be, and uh, we moved here about almost, is it 10 years ago now, to Indianapolis, yeah, just north of Indianapolis, a town called Carmel, and uh, we have two girls, uh, they are 17 and 15, which is just the age of magic and all good things. Just lovely. I know. I have a daughter who's 13 and it's, I can just tell it's going to be amazing. And I saw the picture of your girls. I'll put it up for, for everybody to see. They're just lovely. They are, they are wonderful, very empathetic and amazing girls, but Mm. man, these, these, these are not (laughs) easy years. They're just not. So I've got a junior and a freshman and, um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. As far as what I like to do, oh, I love anything that has to do with like movies or stories or reading or, you know, and then just talking with people has always been like on the Enneagram thing. I think yeah. that's what it's called, Enneagram. Yeah. I'm the helper. Okay. And so, yeah, and so I love to sit down with people and just hear their stories and you know, and, and kind of figure out what's going on in their lives and how they tick. Cause it's fascinating to me, you know, how everybody's wired so differently. I think we share that in common stories are my passion as well. So yeah. we're in good company friend. Oh, good. Okay. So speaking of stories, we all have a story. You have bravely and transparently with authenticity and you know, nothing held back, written your story in this book, Finding God in the Ruins. And in order to find God in ruins, there had to be ruins. Uh, And you tell about that. I'd love if you'd start at the beginning and just give us an idea of what the ruins look like so you can help us find God in our own ruins Yeah. in that journey. Well, you know, I'm just going to start off by saying this. I think there are now, maybe not people that are listening to your podcast, because I think people are coming here because they feel some sort of camaraderie around the idea of being stuck in the mud. But a lot of people think that they don't have a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's because their parents are still married and everybody are Christians or whatever. But uh, I've never found that to be true. I think there are so many people who seem to like the planets have aligned for them for whatever reason they haven't either been abused or 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 abandoned or they haven't struggled with maybe an addiction or whatever but they still have that piece where they struggle to make life work and i believe that's because they have a story too but my story is easier to see because it is filled with addiction abuse incest you name it and Mm. uh and that's sort of how how I, I grew up. My mom was a wonderful uh, lady, but she married my dad, and my dad was an alcoholic, and then they were divorced when I was about two and a half. After she divorced my biological father, she married uh, the man I refer to in the book as the stepdad from hell. And so he came into my life when I was three and a half, making us a stepfamily, and began his assault. I mean, Mm -hmm. and violence and sex were his weapons of choice. And so I literally cannot remember a time in my life that I didn't know about 
sex. I mean, he groomed us for sex. And, uh, and mm -hmm. so the whole home I've often said was almost like a full blown brothel. I mean, there was, there was just so much brokenness, sexual brokenness that it permeated that uh, place. And so of course that became terribly difficult. Uh, and for me, that was mainly through now stepdad from hell never laid a hand on me, but he did lay a hand on my brother and my sister. And because children do what they've been taught to do, mm. my brother laid a hand on me mm. and we were in an incestuous relationship from the time I was about five or six until I was 14, about eight years. And uh, so, yeah, you can imagine what that does to to a person, but I never really began to address and wrestle with this stuff. Now, I told my story when I was in college to a counselor, uh, but I just did not have the tools to understand or to see how my past was pushing itself into my present and affecting my life. And so my story became one of alcoholism in my late 20s to mid 30s of just trying to cope with the pain. And all mm -hmm. of this happened while I was in full-time ministry. And, you know, full-time ministry was not something I didn't, that I wasn't serious about. I loved God a lot, but I had just, I couldn't figure out how to stop drinking and uh, now have been sober for almost nine years. Uh, really, it was just a long journey of beginning to understand for me, where was God? in the midst of all of this pain, and especially as a child in those years from six to 14. Was he present? Was he observing? And if so, how come he did not prevent what I went through? And so mm -hmm. I had to get to the bottom of that. And that was a, that was a, that's the journey that this, this book ultimately came out of. Well, I'd love to talk about those years of abuse, not to belabor them, but to help us understand them. I think maybe you who are listening, maybe you have a similar story. Maybe you experienced being a victim of some kind of thing like that. And it's so traumatic because it's beyond your control. You don't know yeah. that there's any different way of being. I mean, it's your only home. You're a child. Yeah. Um, what was your mom's uh, awareness at that time? I'm guessing she might not have been aware of what was happening because it was a relationship between you and your brother. And then at some point there was a turn and it escalated into a more forceful situation with your brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my mom's awareness was she, she was not aware of it. Yeah. In fact, what, what brought at 14 years old, what took stepdad from hell out of the picture was divorce. And that's when she found out what had gone on. So what happened between my brother and I was never talked about. I tried once six months before he passed away, but he wasn't ready to. Um, and he shut me down. He was like, I'm not talking about this, but his story was different than mine, right. you know, in that he had experienced sexual abuse from my stepdad. And so, uh, so I, I don't know how all of that looked for him. I know that it happened, but I don't know exactly how it looked where my brothers and eyes was, it, it, there was one very traumatic, what I would call a rape. I, I couldn't say that for years. I couldn't mm -hmm. bring myself to say it mm -hmm. by my brother because he was repeating what had been done to him. 
but most of that relationship, we knew it wasn't okay, you know, and we knew it wasn't to be talked about, that it was to be kept a secret, but it never really felt, um, it, it never felt destructive because you're kids and right. because it was sort of agreed upon. And this is the trouble with sexual abuse and, and victims of sexual abuse. If they've ever felt any sort of sexual pleasure or gratification, which sounds awful, you just feel like that you were complicit you know, and that, that you wanted this. But, you know, there's a phrase that people talk about called the body betrays. Mm. Uh, and it's because we're wired biologically. So your body will respond because it's just sex. It's what it does. It doesn't mean anything about who you are. Right. And for years, when I would tell my story, I would always tweak the details because I needed people to know that I was afraid of it when it happened so that they wouldn't think that I, you know, I was responsible, you know, for it. And so over time, I began to realize I needed to tell the truth. I always say that, you know, that uh, we can tell 95% of the truth but the 5% that we don't tell, that's where the lie lives. That's right. And so I had to tell that 5%. And, uh, and that's why I included it in this book, because some people will read it and be like, uh, I don't, and, and even my publishers were kind of like, we don't really <laughs> like that you talked about wanting to go down to the basement, which was the scene of the crime of a lot of the incest between my brother and I. And I was like, but people that this has happened to, they understand right. that. And, and so that's why they said, well, explain it further. Make sure that you say the body betrays, you know. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's yes, include all of that so that we're giving a full picture for those yeah. who may not have experienced this sort of Well, thing. I'm so glad you insisted on that because that's what riveted me. Because there's a lot of people who are willing to tell their story. But what I liked about what you wrote is that, this awareness and like calling it out from under the rug that we need to tell the whole truth, mm -hmm. like all of the truth and not right. in an unsafe way. I mean, when you were first, you know, wrestling with being able to even call it a rape, you did so in the safety of a professional counselor's office with a relationship with a counselor that you'd had for several years. Exactly. So it was a very safe place guided by a professional, which on a side note, probably most of us need. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. And that's what people misunderstand sometimes and think, oh yeah, I need to tell my story. And then it becomes this big, long status update on Facebook where family members can see or whatever. I did not go to family members first. I went to a counselor uh, and I had anonymity in my 12 step, uh, my AA groups, you know, and then, uh, very close friends that I knew. I don't think the first place you go is to family because the family is going to have their own issues with your story. You really need to trust a professional and telling your story doesn't mean you have to publish it in a book. That, that is the path that I believe that God has taken me on. But this is after years of processing through this kind of stuff. And it's still difficult. You know, yeah. my release date was March 1st. And I was like, well, I guess everybody knows now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's so, like you're standing naked in front of the world. Oh, right? I mean, yeah. yeah but, but it's beautiful to see people coming out of the woodwork that are saying, yes. me too. Me too. You know? And they've got a safe place to talk about this and process through it. Because that's how I feel like you get... Uh, your legs underneath you to be able to stand up against all of this and to manage the pain. 
Right. And so many of us have pain way in, in the dark, in those dark places of yeah. our heart that we feel like we don't, aren't able to talk about or even give voice to that, you know, we fear embarrassment. Like you said, the guilt of feeling like, well, maybe we need to take responsibility for some of it. Um, especially those of us whose mud is related to our own choices of failure. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole nother guilt and shame component related there, but the church has, I'm not sure if we want to say drop the ball on this or been in hiding on this, but certainly there are Christian cliches that are given voice to, albeit with well-intended mm-hmm. statements, yeah. well-intended motives, but falling flat on the hearts of broken, unredeemed people. Oh, yeah. Can you help us um, bring to light and throw out the window some of these cliches? And let's, let's use that to segue into talking about just the state of pain and brokenness in general. Yeah. Well, the, the, the cliches are, they can take a very bad situation and just make you feel responsible for making it work. So the, yeah. the, one of the big ones, and it's funny because it's scripture, but it also can really, uh, scriptures applied out of context can mm-hmm. be devastating. And, and they make God look, in the book I say, they make God look like a Hitler. And they do at times, you know, so the, the God will work all things to the good, you know, for those who love him. I mean, there's a time and a place for people to come to an understanding of that. But when somebody is telling their story for the first time, and that's the first thing they hear is it's you, you're not only carrying the weight of your darkness, but then all of a sudden you feel responsible to turn it into something that makes God look good. And so that that's where, you know, these spiritual, I call it bumper sticker faith, (laughs) <laughs> it, I mean, people are, they are over it. I mean, seriously, they are just, and this is why people are leaving the church in droves. And I love the church. I've served in it full time for 22 years now. I love it, you know, but yeah. it's why people are walking away because they're like, I'm so sick of that. You know what I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm over, I'm over it, you know, and don't tell me that kind of stuff anymore. It doesn't work. I've tried it. You know, and I'm still carrying around all of this pain. And so there's just got to be a better way. Well, I love that you call it bumper sticker because that's like plucking it out of nowhere and sticking it on something like it's a pat answer for for all things. Right. And yet if you go to Romans 8 and you look at Romans 7 and Romans 9, and even where 828 is sandwiched in between, Paul's really talking about the redemptive work of Christ on the cross that, that he has worked all things together for our good in the essence that we have salvation, that Mm -hmm. we are saved through faith, that we're no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. So the context of that is certainly not intended to pull out and place on a bumper sticker as a pat answer for people's deep, deep pain. Right, right. And Richard Rohr, I don't know if you've read much of his stuff, but some of the stuff that I love about him is that he talks about holding dark and light you know, at the same time, simultaneously, that, that God is dark and light, you know, and at the opening of the book, I don't know if you noted that, noticed that scripture from Isaiah, but that talks about, I create darkness and light. I create, and the, the King James Version says, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I think things. it's Isaiah 45. Is it? 45? Okay. 
45-7 maybe. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, oh, and I was going to ask you about that because that brings up a whole nother topic because I love how you talked about God's sovereignty and how he is in control of all things. And yet so many choose to say the word God allowed these things instead of God caused these things because it's really hard to stomach when you've been a victim of abuse or rape or whatever it is that's deeply painful that God would purpose that on purpose and how could he be loving if he does? So yeah. I, wanted, I would love to hear your insight on that. Well, I'm not sure how much I have. I can tell you this. I know that God's ways are higher than right. mine. Uh, and so that sort of needs to be the foundation of that conversation that, mm -hmm. uh, that I do not know how, how exactly how God is working. But I do know that his own son was sent to a cross and, and he sent him there. So, I mean, that in some form seems like creating evil against his own self, against his own son. I don't know how all of that works right. out. But I do know that uh, people are very uncomfortable with a God who allows. They don't want to talk about, you know, what happened in Boston at the marathon when people's limbs were blown off. They don't want to talk what, about what happened in Rwanda and where was God. And, and these are things that uh, maybe not everybody wants to know, but there are plenty of people out there that want to know who this God is. and we continue, continually in evangelical Christianity sweep hiding this stuff behind our backs. Like, right. just don't let them see that. We don't want them to see that part instead of holding it out in front of us and uh, not feeling that we have to mitigate on God's behalf. God can handle himself. He does not need us to defend him. And, and so God is who he is. You know what I mean? He's not apologizing for it. And so we shouldn't either. Well, I love how you brought up if God was seeing all of the abuse that you were experiencing even as a child, and when you were daring to get real and go to the 100% of your story, even internally with your counselor, and say to yourself, why did he not intervene? Yeah. I'd love yeah. if you would share about how, how God did make that choice to send his own son to be crucified and violated too. Because well, that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. I I think um, I had a misconception that God was observing this. So when we and we often will say, "You're not alone. You were never alone." And I believed that, but I remember thinking, "Right, I wasn't alone." So He was there, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I had even said in one part of the book, I think in chapter five, that He participated in our horrors. Mm -hmm. By being present, you know, but if any of us were there and it were our own child, I mean, we would, we would kill somebody who had hurt our kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would do, there's no way we would stand casually by and observe, but it was a good friend of mine, Dave Steenard, uh, our, I sent him part of a chapter of the book that it talked about that participating in uh, our horrors by being present. And he said, where was God? You're asking, where was God? He was there hanging on the gallows. He was on the dirty floor with a pedophile on top of him in the brothels of Mumbai. Mm -hmm. He was not observing. He was receiving. So 
when we say that we were not alone, and I think in the crucified Son of God, that that's exactly right. We think that God suffered only on Good Friday. Mm. But the truth is that as he takes our burdens upon himself, he has been violated and suffered for the span of all of our lifetimes. Each day, mm-hmm. every time somebody is violated, murdered, raped, abused, uh, addicted, he is there and he is suffering that, not watching, but he is taking it upon himself. And I just, mm. that was a game changer for me. Yeah. And it was because I was so angry with God. And there's a lot of anger represented toward God during this, in this book where I'm very honest about that. That was a game changer for me where I, I felt compassion, deeply compassionate toward God, something I'd never experienced in my life. Incredible. For me, it was realizing the free will choice that we have to choose to love God makes our love relationship with him authentic and real instead of him as a puppeteer deciding if I'm going to love him or not. Yeah. And and yet it's a it's a hard balance because if I hold that God is in control of all things, how is it I can have free will. It seems like oxymoron until I discovered this concept of the foreknowledge of God um, and how it could be possible that God in his all knowingness, now again, his ways are higher than ours. And to even try to make sense of all of this is very challenging, even for the most, you know, well-educated theological scholars. So I am not claiming to have any corner of the market on this. But for me personally, to have the idea that God could give me a choice to love him and my love relationship could be a real thing with him, but he could know ahead of time what I would choose were I to be given certain options and in those choices have a sovereign plan before the beginning of time for what the purpose is, the greatest purpose that my choices could accomplish with him using it for my own good eventually and through my own story for the good of others in the world. Yeah. Um, and that brought me a lot of comfort to know that, yes, I could choose, but he could be in control too. Yeah. But nothing's yeah. an accident with him. He's not surprised that the abuse or the failure happens in our lives, but he is with us in it and never leaves, even yeah. though it feels like he's not there. Yeah. But that's then, the journey to discover, right? That's the oh, journey we're on. Absolutely. That you are on, that we all are on. Yes, yes. And, and the journey, it takes time. You know, it's not, uh, oh, I'll read a book and then there I'm fixed. You know, it really is a journey that we go on with God of um, working to understand him more. And as we're more honest, uh, you know, and, and God is good to us and blesses us in ways that we didn't expect, then we want to be even more honest. You know, it's, it's a relationship. Right. And, and so we grow to trust him. But that's the tough thing about growing up in the church often is that we're not really taught to, um, we can have questions for God, but we cannot question God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's not okay. And, and it actually is okay. We see many examples uh, in the Bible of David and, and Job and 
Uh, and these weren't people that were just talking about God. In fact, what David or what God was so impressed with Job was that that he continued to talk to him, mm-hmm. you know, and not just about him like Job's friends did. And so we have to do the same thing too. It's not comfortable. I can promise you that uh, when we're frustrated or when we're angry. But I think God is not afraid of us. He's got broad shoulders and he can handle it. He's not wringing his hands in heaven thinking, oh my goodness, Matt's throwing a fit. I don't know what to do with him. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so for me, I needed to say those things. And one specific night, I'll never forget, uh, sitting in my chair where I had decided to go toe to toe with God. I know that sounds ridiculous or maybe overly dramatic, but I I had to ask these questions. I I had to ask about what seemed like uh, parental neglect, you know, on his part Mm -hmm. in my life. And so I did that writing. I wrote it out and I'd never want anybody to read those journal entries. Those are not in the book. Uh, (laughs) But when I wrote all of that out and I just had tears streaming down my face because I was just I was afraid, talk about the fear of the Lord. Mm. I was afraid, but I was being bold. And I shut my computer that night and I just was worn out. It was about 1.30 in the morning. And all I felt from God was this message. I'm here. I'm still here. Mm. And when that happened, that's when I knew this is okay. He's not going to leave me. He's going to be with me no matter what. He doesn't need me to be appropriate. You know, he doesn't need me to behave, you know, and to be civil. You know, he needs me to be honest and to be real. And, uh, and so that was uh, another one of those times where I felt God in the room in a powerful way, mm-hmm. pouring out grace, you know, heaping grace onto, onto me when I had been so, I had just been so misbehaved, I guess. <laughs> oh, I think of it. Well, oftentimes our our abuses that were done to us lead us to a place where we make some decisions of our own that further compound the issue. I know addiction is something that is common to happen because we're trying to numb the pain and not go into that real place of really yeah. with God. For that person who who's listening today, Matt, who is in pain maybe who has suppressed their pain. You know, in, you described in your 20s and 30s, you kind of just did life. Like that was your life in your past and you just kind of went moving forward. But not dealing with it isn't really the answer. Right, um, right. At least if you want to be whole and healed. Um, you, you talk about we want a God who heals our wounds, but what we actually have is a God who heals our hearts. But that's a process. So how did that look for you walking forward. I know you talked about um, the counseling with, what do you call him? Counselor Doug? Doug the counselor. (laughs) Yeah. Take us through more of the story of what ended up unfolding and how that journey looked and how someone listening who maybe has pain that they're feeling a little uncomfortable with what we're talking about here because it's it's difficult. I'm sure this is going to be the first person you encountered who responds like that. Yeah. Well, first of all, regarding uh, addiction or finding earthly ways of coping, which we all do. Some people do end up going to uh, finding some kind of drug of choice, you know, whether it's coping with, with food, alcohol, drugs, whatever. But then there's also the, the ones that we can just sort of 
glance right by, like, you know, money issues, control, uh, diet and exercise, uh, that kind of thing. So everybody, I believe that everybody has their character defect, you know, or the, the thing that they use to try to make life more manageable. And, and it works, you know, the alcohol for me, it worked for a while, you know, and then when it stops working, uh, that's, that's when we have the problem. Right. Uh, and, and so I think the first thing that people need to know is that they are not bad. It doesn't mean that they're not strong, uh, that these are weak people, they're weak minded, or they have no resolve. You know, those are all lies, you know, uh, we're all looking for some way to cope. And I believe we're doing the best that we can. You know, uh, right. this is not something that we've expected or that we've just done out of some kind of selfishness. It's it's something that we stumbled upon and didn't. I mean, when I first started drinking, I was like 28 years old. I had no idea it would turn into what it did. Mm-hmm. But I when I think back, it had me at the beginning. Yeah. You know, and it took me a while to figure out what was happening there. So um, anyway, for the people that are listening that may be drinking, and drinking is a huge one for people. They're always talking about just chilling or just taking the edge off or whatever. Mm-hmm. But people preload. Somebody's listening that knows what it's like to roll the wine bottle up or the beer bottle up in a napkin and put it on the bottom of the trash. Right. Like, there's somebody right, right now going, yep. oh my gosh, has he been in my house? <laughs> but, and it's because we all do it. You know, yeah. I did it too. Uh, and it doesn't make you bad. It just means that you've, you've got a problem. You've got an addiction. It's a sign. Yeah. Yes, it is. You know, it's a and sign of underlying pain. Most often when it say? is, yeah. yes, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you remember, there's a little phrase from the book that says where pain is present, a wound exists. Mm. And so I think that we have to pay attention to those little twinges inside us and because we don't want to live out the rest of our days carrying this stuff around, you know, that there is freedom and our lives can actually become manageable, not perfect, not pain-free. But when we encounter something that is even devastating, we can figure out how to get through it, you know, and instead of letting it take us out for three years and ruin our relationships and that end in divorce or broken relationships with our kids or or coworkers or whoever, you know, we learn that I have to go after this internally, nothing outside of myself, not the shopping, the money, the, the, the affair, the whatever right. nothing is going to make that internal world. Okay. Well, it makes me think, you know, at, at some level, it makes me think we are all broken people, you know, whether we realize we're broken or not, it may not be as extreme as you or I have experienced, or it may, you know, but we're all broken. And we sometimes view that as weakness. And I think that's the embarrassment component, that humiliation component that prevents us from getting help. It, it drives us toward covering it up or pushing it down or putting it in a dark place in our heart and locking it away. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, Paul talked about that thorn. He talked about God's power in our weakness to glory in that. Can you speak a little bit to that? It's so encouraging. Oh, it is. How you see that, that scripture, you know, that his strength is made perfect, you know, 
it's not that his strength is made really good. I mean, it could have said that. Like, <laughs> his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Mm -hmm. And I love that, that the glory of God, you know, the power of God would rest upon us in our weakness. So therefore, I will glory in my weakness. And the thing I love about that word glory is finding out that the, I think the Latin term is doxa, uh, which means the, the unspoken manifestation of God is what that word means. So when we say, I will glory in my weakness, it's like we're inserting the unspoken manifestation, the manifestation of God right into our brokenness mm -hmm. and into our weakness. You know, so that's the power of God in our lives that when we can tell our stories and brag about our weaknesses, nobody wants to run around saying that they had an incestuous relationship with their brother. I mean, that is just, it, it's embarrassing. It's, you know, but I have come to the point in my life where this is in some ways, my greatest strength is to be able to share Yes, that this is what happened to me, but this is out of my weakness. I have the strength to be able to share my story and to watch other people walk out of the darkness. And mm. they are, Jackie. They yeah. get emails every day from people who are telling me their stories that they've never told before. And I'm like, I'm so grateful because I wake up in the morning and I just feel deep, a deep sense of purpose yes. for my life that I never felt before. And I was in ministry. I'm a mm -hmm. musician by trade and led worship for years and loved doing it. But this is something else. Dan mm -hmm. Allender says that yeah. it's out of our weakness from the core ache within us. It's out of our wounds. I'm sorry. Out of our wounds from the core ache within us that we find our calling. Yes. Man, I can't believe that anymore than I already do. It's so true. Yeah. I get well, those you, emails with your story, as well. which I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've shared your story on, on here before. And I think yeah. when I watched your video story and you were talking about, you and your husband were talking about um, the passion and you could just sense it in your words for marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, right. you know, that is core wounding. Right there. That's coming out of, that's calling coming from that core wound that Dan right. Ellinger spoke about. And I believe it. It's well, the I, most I, effective. Yeah. I can relate to you on the humiliation component. It took me, you know, 10 years or longer, 15 maybe, to actually say our story out loud to the people oh, we've yeah. been in a Bible study with for three years. I mean, yeah. it's just completely embarrassing to have an affair with someone and choose a divorce and marry the person you had an affair with and you're still married. Yep. I mean, it's, you don't have to be a Christian to know that that's not okay. Yeah. And but when um, you know your own brokenness, you are very much like, I hear your story and I think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. I know this. I know what I am capable of mm -hmm. apart from God. And I also exactly. know that I'm that I'm very capable of, of um, self-delusion, you know? And so that is why I need the spirit of God in my life and I need the accountability of other people. But man, sometimes the church struggles to offer that true uh, accountability that we so desperately need. And that's why we get the emails, you know, the emails. Yeah. I've never told anyone this before, but you're, you feel like a safe person to tell. And mm -hmm. it's such an honor, don't you think? Such a, such a gift to be given to hold 
someone's precious broken story. Yeah. And all you want to tell them, because some of the stories are just unbelievable, right. you know, and all you want to tell them is, this is what I know. You can get better. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt in my mind that where, where I was and what I was struggling with and what I knew about myself on the inside, I know that you can get better. It's going to take time. It's painful before it's peaceful, mm-hmm. but you can be well. I absolutely believe that. And you can have, well, an AA, they call it reasonably happy, which well, the first <laughs> time I heard reasonably happy, I hated it. That you can be reasonably happy in this world. That's the, if you look up the full, the full serenity prayer, it has that phrase in it at the end that you can be reasonably happy. And I thought, I don't want to be reasonably happy. I want to be real happy. (laughs) But when you're in the midst of all of that pain and you're tired of all the shenanigans of faking it, and there's a point that you come to that you're like reasonably happy sounds realistic Mm -hmm. and sounds actually good to me. Because we've been told, John 16, 33, we're going to have trouble in this world. We are going to have, so none of us is going to escape trouble and pain. We're all going to encounter it. The rest of our life, we are going to encounter it. But take heart, I've overcome the world, which to me is that reasonably happy and that peace part that we can have. I love that. You also write that as we admit brokenness and like all of it, all of the brokenness and we feel it, that's an important component to actually Mm -hmm. sit with it because that, I think that's what, where we, we, touch our toe in the water of feeling it and we run to the coping mechanisms because it's it's too much. But then God promises if we press through and really commit to feel it, that he will be there even when we feel despair. And a lot of times we just want to arrive at the healing. We want that real happy, that real happy, but it's a journey. And when we go back and get real, I've, I've learned when I chose to do it, and I know you have too, that it won't break us. It actually makes us into who we are created to be and the calling we're created to serve from. And it it brings a freedom that um, is not really describable prior to the truth. Yeah. You know, and, but part of that journey is forgiveness. I'd love it if you would talk about forgiveness because this hangs a lot of us up when we get real and we say the truth and we call it out. Yeah. How do we walk through forgiveness? Well, you know, forgiveness is funny because people, you know, take the, be quick to forgive kind of scripture. It's like, well, let's, let's use that for somebody that flips us the bird on the highway. You know, <laughs> no bumper I'm, stickers with this, please. <laughs> right, I can, I can forgive that guy real quick. You know? uh, but, you know, the people that have deeply wounded us um, and grieved us, it, it took me uh, 10 years to forgive my biological father because I, I felt that he had abandoned us. Mm-hmm. You know, he left, we didn't see him for, you know, 12 years, 13 years. And uh, it took me a long time. And it wasn't until I understood And I have a friend that says this. So this is one of those quotables. I did not. This was like a sponsor in AA that said, um, until we know what is taken from us, we cannot forgive fully. Hmm. And that resonated with me because I didn't know what was taken from me in that broken relationship. And when I was able to figure it out, you know, then I under, and 
also, as I got in touch with my own brokenness, I was able to forgive my biological father because I realized that he too was doing the best that he could. Right. Well, it brings compassion to yeah. the circumstance, right? Yes. However, there is another side when people say, so have you forgiven stepdad from hell? And I say, I have. I call that forgiveness light. <laughs> don't try to find that in the Bible. It is not in there. And if it's wrong, God can tell me when I get there. No, dude, that was messed up. Messed but up, yeah. I call it forgiveness light because with, with my stepdad from hell, I will never have a relationship with him. Never. Is he still alive? Uh, somewhere, I suppose. I don't know where he lives. I haven't seen him since I was 17 or 18 years old. Okay. Uh, and I have no desire to be in his life. Mm -hmm. If he tried to make an amend to me, uh, that's where it would end. It would mm -hmm. be, thank you for making the amend. Yes, I do forgive you, you know, but I would not have a relationship out of respect for my family. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so sometimes I think people get hung up with that kind of stuff. But the forgiveness, I mean, we've heard it from Oprah, Brene Brown. We've heard it from everyone that the forgiveness is about you. Mm -hmm. And it is about you. It's letting yourself off the hook more than right. it is letting them off the hook. Because I don't want, I, my childhood was driven by a chaotic, bipolar, highly dysfunctional man. Mm -hmm. I don't want the rest of my life with him in the driver's seat. Right. You know, and so I have to let him go. And that took some time to yeah. be able to do that. But that's, you know, again, that's from the wisdom of mm -hmm. therapists and yeah. Well, and professional help, I was going to say, does help yeah. you maneuver that yeah. because, um, you know, forgiveness does not equal restoration of relationship in every situation it could, because oh, right. we have to stay safe and wise. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the book, Matt, you talk about this story of a lady you knew named Becky and the journey of companionship you've had with her pen. Um, so I'd love it if you would share with us a little bit about that and how that played into your writing of the book, and then give us an update about some of the other pain that you've walked through with some of your family. I know that even when we deal with pain from our past and we're on that journey of recovery, there's still pain coming in the future that we face. I call it mud, um, whether it be, you know, your sister's cancer or, um, but God is redeeming so much of it. I mean, with your brother who had passed away, he had a daughter and she had a wedding and there's just so much. So I would just love for you to share any of the stories to wrap up your family situation and, and all of that before we close. Yeah. Well, really, when I started writing this book, um, the, the Becky is mentioned in chapter one and it's because, uh, Becky committed suicide and she was on our staff at our church. And um, I had written her husband a letter and, and just, I, I was sort of just journaling and then shared it with him because somebody had done that when my brother passed away, they had sent me a letter that I'd kept for, I still have it and it's 20 some years later. Mm. And so I sent this to him and in there, just as I was writing, I said, I wish I could find the pen because I knew she had left a note behind and just repurpose that pen and use whatever ink was left in it, you know, for, for good things to write words of healing and redemption. And, and so anyway, at her funeral, 
you know, when I met up with John and just went to shake his hand, we were all waiting in the line. He said, I have something for you. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out that pen. Mm. And I call it the most lovely and awful gift I've ever received. So I have that pen and he gave it to me. And we, he gave it to me. That is when I knew I'm going to write this. Mm. I'm going to write her story and my story and all of our story. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that pen was just close by me as I wrote this entire uh, this entire book. I kept it with me where, wherever I was, you know, just as a reminder of the real pain that people are going through in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, just an, a quick update on my sister. She's stage four uh, metastatic breast cancer. And um, she's actually doing well. She's been through chemo once and is now on an oral chemo. She's a very positive girl. She's a lot of fun. She's mm-hmm. like an extra extrovert, like on, <laughs> you know, steroids. I mean, and so she just has a lot of fun with her family and with her grandkids right now. And she's working full time, if you can believe that. And wow. uh, she's just an amazing, an amazing person and how God has redeemed her life. Part of that is in the book. And it's like, it's my favorite story. Oh, in the whole book of just how he uh, took her life and just in, in the only the way God can made something happen. That was just, there's no way to prove it by humanity. It's supernatural God's hand all over that situation. So Mm. that is just a, a wonderful, amazing thing. It's encouraging when we hear the end result, uh, you know, when we see the redemption arrive. It's not always so for many of our stories, and that's, that makes it hard. But I love how you've pointed us to the comfort and love of God to sit with us in the midst of the yeah. unanswered brokenness. Yeah, and yeah. To, because to the truth him. is, she, my sister still has cancer. Right. And what God is doing in her life is amazing, but she still has, has cancer and he has not healed her of that cancer. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I have come to a place and I don't know that I will, if she goes on from here, I'm going to have, and in fact, I've said I would march my cul-de-sac in protest of God. Like I'm going to be angry, but I think that I will come back to a place of believing because God always seems to show up. He just shows up in my life in these ways that I can't explain. They're not what I've asked for all the time, but they're things that I would never imagine of the ways he shows up in such a sweet and personal way that undeniably he is there. Yeah, which we only discover when we walk through those broken places. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because if everything was unbroken, we would never know that he'd show up in the broken. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of our stories, you give a call to encourage us to tell our stories, not only for our own selves, but to consider what the purpose of our stories would do for the world. Tell us about bystander apathy and why we should consider sharing our stories. Yeah, bystander apathy is actually a word, uh, it's a sociological word because of of a woman named Kitty Genovese who was left for dead in the boroughs of Queens, New York. She was raped and somebody saw but did not intervene. And then the William Mosley was her perpetrator. He left, 
but then nobody came to rescue her. There were people around and people knew, but nobody came to rescue her. And so he came back and then raped her uh, and killed her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so bystander apathy is where we know somebody is hurting, but we don't do anything about, we don't intervene. And there's also something that's called the burden of responsibility. And believe it or not, that when there's one person present for something that's happening that's wrong, um, there tends to be a response. And that's what they call it, the burden of responsibility, because there's one person there where if there are five everybody's waiting for somebody else to join in, Mm. you know, to jump in and make the first move. So um, with so much brokenness in this world and so many hurting people, we have bystander apathy within all of us to some of us have gone through the very same things that other people have experienced abuse. And we know that this person is going through it, but yet we are unwilling to step in and intervene. And when we actually do, man, we are changing someone's life. Mm-hmm. And so we have to we have to get on board. If we are partnering with Jesus to redeem this world, that's what he's asking us to do, to step forward, to tell our stories, to call people out of their hiding places so that they too can enjoy the peace and the love of God. Mm-hmm. So that they too can find God in the ruins. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, and they can. They absolutely can. But we have got to help people. And we may not be ready right now. And that's why we go on the journey to say, right. I want my life to matter. But we want it to be great in some revolutionary, exciting way that's not painful to get to. But the truth is, where we find our greatest amount of effectiveness is always within our brokenness. That's where it is. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being here with us today. Your book has been such an encouragement to my heart. I'm hoping and praying that it will to whoever picks it up, help us know where to find you and keep up with you online, see your updates and where we can find your book. Yeah, I have a, an author uh, page on Facebook that's at mattbayswriter.com. Uh, that is also my website is mattbayswriter.com where I post very regularly uh, blogs and almost everything is through the lens of written through the lens of recovery. And then at Twitter is also at mattbayswriter. And uh, man, I'd love to make some new friends. So send me an email and uh, I'll definitely respond. I always do. Love it. I love it. Thank you so much for um, saying yes to God to write your story in honor of uh, Becky's Pen Inc. I'm just so thankful that you did. And may it encourage and inspire others to do the same. And we'll all walk in our broken places together, finding God in our ruins. And Jackie, first of all, thank you for having me on. And secondly, thank you for this work that you're doing. This is like life-changing work. And I appreciate you using your life the same as the rest of us are trying to. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor and a joy to, to be in it together. So mm-hmm. I always recognize when I find my people and you were one of them and I was yeah. so glad to find you. So have an amazing day. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm so glad to have joined you today. I hope whatever it is you're doing as you're listening to this, that you are having a wonderful day. And I hope it's even more wonderful because of all that Matt shared. And incidentally, on a side note, 
Thank you so much for hanging in there with the audio quality of this episode. I had a terrible time with the audio software that I was using when I spoke with Matt. So thank you for grace on that. As usual, all the links that were mentioned in this episode will be found in the show notes page. You can find that if you click through the artwork of the app that you're listening to this show, you'll be able to have all the links there. I'm going to put them there for you. And I'd love it if you would consider hanging out with me over on Facebook this summer. You can find me at facebook.com forward slash Jackie Watkins. I'm going to be doing some Facebook live video and I would love it if you would come on over and we could interact and chat together and just hang out and have a good time. I have been loving it over there. I already have a video over there that I did last week about how you can tell Facebook what you want to see in your newsfeed and how if you like a page, you can set the notifications so that you can be notified to see the people's things that you really want to see. And so I hope that serves you. There's going to be lots more this summer over there, and I'd love it if you'd join me. And also, I would love it if you would consider subscribing to the show so you won't miss even one episode. And if you have time to leave even a small rating or review, that would bless me so much. I read each and every one of those. But find me on Facebook. We're going to hang out there this summer. So I am looking forward to meeting you over there. I hope you have a wonderful beginning to your beautiful summer. Hang out with your people, linger a little longer, look for those things that are blessings in your life. And I want you to always know, no matter what it is you're facing, you are so very loved and you are never, ever alone. Have a beautiful day.